Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International, the first of two hours of Ghost Chronicles Radio. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper in the realm of the unknown, unexplained, unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me is that cheerful old chap, the gold standing and ghost hunting Mr. Steve Parson. Good evening. Hot-footed back from Britain's most haunted city. <laughs> Aren't they all? <laughs> well, that's what they say. You know, that's what's funny, because that was one of the topics I did want to bring up, so it's funny how you rolled that into it. But, uh, I mean, we, we throw, well, not we, but people throw that term around so much. Most haunted, the most haunted mm. house in England, the most haunted house in Drake. It. <laughs> well, I guess we have, yeah, we do have one. I have Dennis Risky. So, what the hell is a haunted house? What the hell is a haunted house? A haunted yeah. house is where uh, anywhere, well, a house, obviously, um, yeah. wherein I... somebody has reported a haunting. And a haunting but is... A haunting, a haunting is not the same as seeing a ghost. A haunting is a continuum, um, an ongoing series of events that are linked to the paranormal. So it could include seeing apparitions or hearing sounds or smelling smells or objects moving around or sensing a presence. Um, so a haunted haunting is a continuous series of, of events that may or may not be paranormal, may or may not be even connected to one another, but nevertheless you know, people uh, it, attribute it, it, them. To the paranormal. It's, it's interesting though because uh, I'm looking at it now in the dictionary and it says a poignant, evocative, and difficult to ignore or forget. So, you know, a haunting experience, for instance. But uh-huh. so I guess it's it's more, I don't know. It, it, well, the expression it, derives from. A, um, a connection to a place not quickly you know, forgiven you know, you Go know ahead. Uh, well i mean it, the 
the the use of the word haunting uh, derives from the word haunt, uh, which means really a connection. You know, it could be um, he ha- the poet haunted or the haunts of a poet or, you know, uh, somebody goes on holiday, you know, to their favourite haunts. It's just somewhere where people have a connection to. And so these events are connected to place, which could be a home, it could be a house, it could be a castle, it could be a city. Um, It's just a connection to something, you know. But it doesn't necessarily mean that any or all of the events that are connected to the haunting of paranormal. Right, because I'm looking at the, the, the definition. It says, eerie, memorial, nostalgic, spooky, nagging, repeated, obsessive, ongoing, persistent, reoccurrent. And they give some examples, of course, like uh, set in the hills of coal country in the story of four siblings who cling to fading memories while wrestling with a haunting cigarette. All she carried was an all she carried is an organized around a rear and haunting object. And above... Mm-hmm. So it, it's more of a haunting voices, you know, it talks about haunting voices. So is it's more, is it more the experience than, than actually saying that it's, uh, it's more, it's more emotional than that. I mean, if you look at the, the use of the word and the, the other derivatives you gave, uh, examples for, <laughs> excuse me, it, it, it's a word that's more emotional, isn't it? You know, um, it's an emotional connection. And yet we we not saying we, but the the general public uses it as a, as a place that has ghosts. Of course, I mean that's the yeah. accepted, or that's the most commonly accepted use of the word. But you know, we also use it in literature a lot as well, don't we? Um, yes. As you just gave some examples for, mm-hmm. which have got nothing. Those examples have got nothing whatsoever to do with the paranormal. So there are two. There are two versions of the word. You know, um, there's the emotional use of the word, the the connecting use of the word, but there's also the the much more common, especially this time of year around Halloween, um, and in our line of business, of course, the paranormal, where it literally means that the place is overcome or overwhelmed with paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to me, it would be difficult to, to make the claim that a, it is the most haunted city in the UK, is the most haunted house in the UK. I think it's, that's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Ambitious? It's, it's I mean, the, it, there's no valid standard for you no, know, being the most haunted. I mean, I, I, I've said before. Um, yeah, the the most haunted of, house in Ireland, remember? Yeah, well, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but I, I've said before, the expression, the most haunted place, um, is used, usually refers to um, a promotion of, you know, it's, if you're calling something the most haunted house, the most haunted castle, then you're probably trying to sell it or something connected to it, you know, a ghost hunt, yeah. uh, an experience there. And so when you're marketing it, you know, it's it's just a, a tired old marketing hack expression now uh, that I, I think, you know, people just use as a throwaway. 
and people don't really believe it any longer. You know, when when Harry Price wrote the most haunted house in England, um, the expression wasn't that commonly used. But now it's you can't put social media or the or the television on without somebody. You know, we're going to Denver to the most haunted house in Denver. Mm-hmm. Next week we're going to the most haunted house in Mississippi, and the week yeah. after that we're going to the most haunted car servicing garage <laughs> in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. I mean how many how many car servicing garages in Miami are that are even haunted? Everybody wears it like a badge though, Steve, don't they? Yeah, I mean you know, our our good friend Richard Felix describes you um Derby or Derby as the (laughs) most haunted city in England. But you know, I've just come back from a city that also claims to be the most haunted city in Great Britain or you know I, I saw a group um, they they have a Facebook live ghost hunt oh no night, really and they <laughs> described it uh, uh, one of their more, more recent ones as the most haunted house in the world oh that's a good no, I now I don't know how the hell they know, come up with that baby well, you know, what's next for them? You know, what's the next step beyond that? The most haunted house in the galaxy, the universe. Yeah, there you go. Eternity. Mm. It's just, I don't think people even believe it anymore. You know, it's just one of those throwaway advertising slogans. So we've come, come, uh, I guess, uh, a little bit sterile to it, more or numb to it. Than, than... Yeah, a bit like the Democrat Party in America. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> oh, They're well. getting their asses anyway. whipped today, aren't they? Yes, yeah. Anyways, uh, you know that was yeah. It, That's why you're uh, that was a question I wanted to bring up before uh, before we had our guest on the the show last week. And uh, uh, can good, you remember good, his name? And no. And uh, <laughs> but it was a great show. You go check it out. And uh, Steve highly recommends his book. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's the yep. the short the short history of nearly everything paranormal by Taria Simonson. Yeah, so I mean, if you haven't heard the show, I think I would uh, definitely listen to it. It, it was not many, intelligent, well, actually you know, intelligent conversation. And there is not many books I'll rave over. That's true. I don't think those chronicles. Well, that was the the uh, the other book. <laughs> All right, so last night I did a, uh, a Dining with the Dead, uh, one of my favorite things to do. It's at the... Uh, steak tips. Not anymore. No? No, gone. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, that's off yep. the agenda next year, then. <laughs> and you, every time you come over here, you've done a Dining with the Dead there. It's at the Wyndham restaurant. You know, things change, but uh, you know the cost of everything nowadays, so I don't have to explain it. But... Uh, you know, there were some great, great uh, meals on there. They had Cordon Bleu, which was really, really awesome. And, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. But anyways, and my talk Tell was on... Now, no steak tips, no dining with the dead. Oh, well, sorry, friend. <laughs> anyways, the... Uh, uh, yeah, so I did a talk yesterday, and it was a little different. Uh, originally, I was going to do something... And it was going to be similar to what you did uh, at SpurQuest, which which basically looked at, uh, I don't know what it looked at, Steve, <laughs> but 
it looked at uh, ghost hunters with hammers. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, anyways, I, I started doing sort of research on it and everything else, and I, I went a, a totally different way, and uh, it, it ended up the talk was called uh, "Ghosts: The Naked Truth," and uh, it, I was quite pleased by the way it came out. But, anyways, in the in the presentation, I mentioned uh, parapsychologist Tony Cornell. And uh, you don't let him put here, you call him that. He's dead, so it's, <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't mind. <laughs> uh, Anthony Donald Cornell was a prominent member and eventual president of the Cambridge University Society for Psychical Research, or CUSPR, mm -hmm. uh, where he was involved in the study and investigation of all manners of the realm of the paranormal and the strange, including hauntings, poltergeist, mediums, telepathy, and clairvoyance. It's a well-known right. author, well author and appeared on many TV documentaries. Cornwell is well-known in the field as being a, for his pioneer approach, approach investigating with, uh, in a clinical way with a scientific attitude and the aim of collecting hard evidence. So, we, <coughs> oh man, I got a tickle today. So, uh, are you, I mean, are you aware of him? Let's put it that way. So, let me start with that. Um, a hero of mine, I think. I think it would be fair to say. Uh, oh, really? A, a, a mentor uh, through his so books you know and him, works then. and Okay. I, I I regrettably never met him, but okay. Um, but absolutely a mentor and a guiding force in the way that I've always conducted my own investigations. Okay. So, uh, by the way, uh, the uh, Cambridge University for Psychical Research, Cusper. By the way, Colic Institute for Paranormal Research, Cusper. I don't need an E in there. Thank you very much. Just saying. Remember how you gave me a yeah. hard time? Did I yeah. insert an E in there? Yeah. No, you don't. You don't need it. So, anyways, uh, yeah, he he was kind of uh, an interesting character, and I I looked at some of his his work, and uh, one that had always intrigued me was the the, the time that he would uh, put a sheet over his head and uh, go out uh, as a ghost. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with that? Uh, uh, well, I, yeah, well, obviously, um, mm -hmm. but I, I, I think, you know, for those who aren't familiar with Tony's book, Tony's work, um, mm -hmm. I think the best way is to hear it from the man himself. Um, and I would urge that people, um, he, he wrote a number of books, but the one I've always suggested as being an essential book for anybody who's interested in investigating mm -hmm. um, is his book, Investigating the Paranormal, because it's it's such a level-headed insight into the subject. It's, uh, it's still available. It's still in print. Um, and I would suggest that anybody who is thinking about investigating or is even considered themselves an experienced investigator should not just buy, but read that book, Investigating the Paranormal by Tony Cornell. I mean, it is so down to earth and so, so practically written. Um, it, it just stands head and shoulders above so many other books. 
And and um, what I was going to say is, is that kind of like an update to the blue book? Uh, no, no, it's not connected to the blue book at all. Okay. Um, the blue book, of course, is Harry Price's work, Tony right. Cornell. Um, this is just, it's kind of a, a biography, uh, an autobiography, and, a, and a, um, a stroll through some of the, or many of the cases that he investigated. Mm-hmm. And that includes the skull, uh, the skull case. And through it, through his writing, you, you get an insight into the practical, scientific, measured methods that he used. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not written in that sort of academic mumbo jumbo. You know, it's 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 a readable book, and um, you can't help but but. Well, I mean, unless you use claw hammers during your investigation, <laughs> um, you know, you can't really help but begin to question your own methods um, and and change your own methods. I mean, certainly when I started out, you know. Uh, the investigations that Tony was carrying out, not just on his own, in fact, very rarely on his own, you know, with other members of the, the SPR, of which uh, he was a prominent member, um, but most frequently with with Dr. Alan Gould. Um, you know, those two worked on many, many cases and explored. I mean, one of the one of the interesting ones they did. Um, which is in the book, is that um, they were interested in this idea that poltergeist, uh, the movement of objects within uh, buildings, or uh, which is which is a regular feature of poltergeist cases, is due to um, the building moving. You know, seismic movements, earth tremors, or or the passage of you know underground railroads, or uh, any form of vibration, essentially. So what they managed to do is they managed to persuade, I think it was Cambridge Council, uh, City Council, who had some derelict buildings that they were about to demolish for to redevelop the site. They managed to uh, persuade the council to give them, loan them two buildings, two houses. And they attached a vibratory device uh, which comprised a a rotary motor and very heavy weights in order to cause a tremendous amount of vibration and they had this attached uh, to the wall of the building and the the aim was to shake the building to see if objects that they placed around the building you know cups and saucers and tea plates and wine glasses and would fall, would fall off shelves, as are reported in some hauntings and poltergeist uh, manifestations. Um, and they, they damn near shook this building to pieces. Now, that's going, you know, that's some serious science research. going on there. Yeah, yeah. serious research. You know, we're, we're, you know, that was the sort of experiments that, the, that, that they set out to do. They didn't just accept people's words for it. They didn't just accept a theory because it sounded cool. Uh, I remember with with infrasound, for example, uh, and uh, the work of Tandy, and then later uh, when he published the 19 Hertz um, or the 18.97, and said it was in a NASA uh, 
paper and it caused eyeball. I remember so many parapsychologists rushed headlong uh, to blind acceptance of that being, well, it sounds good, so it must be the truth. And then they all trotted it out on the TV shows and at conferences <laughs> and in their own papers. But they never, ever set about testing the idea. Um, and then sort of led by or, or mentored by, by Tony Cornell, um, my own research into infrasound demonstrated that actually there was, there was a flaw, uh, ah. quite a serious flaw, and that 18.9 hertz was, had no real involvement. Uh, but the parapsychologists could have tested that for themselves, but they never did. Uh, and Tony taught me nev never to just accept and to keep questioning and to, to test these ideas and these claims. And I yes. think that's the take. I think that's the takeaway from from Tony Cornell. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, uh, I mean that's that's serious research. You know, we don't have really don't have enough of that in in the world today. We have lots of people running around looking at places and and recording this and that for you know a night or whatever, and then. You but know, they're not even doing that, are they? They're not even doing that in truth. Um, yeah. You know, if somebody, let, let's say something as simple as, as temperature, you know, mm -hmm. the first time the thermometer comes out of the bag is five seconds after somebody said, oh, it, this room's gone icy cold. And they <laughs> pointed at one another and they go, yeah, dude, it, it's, it's only 19 degrees over there. But they've got no baseline. They don't know what the temperature was like 20 minutes earlier or exactly. yesterday or or in an hour's time. They're just going, hey, you look, your hand looks cold on this thermal imager. That's significant. It's bullshit. The, the other they're, interesting they're thing. I'm, anything. I'm sorry, Steve. But the other interesting thing, too, yes, is is that because they're there such a short period of time, they don't really know the cycle of the building. It may no, be. You know, it may be a, uh, a forced hot air system or, or some type of heating system that is set at a certain temperature. So it's allowed to drop to a certain temperature before the heat comes back on again. And so, yeah, it might start feeling cold at that point. And then I say, oh, well, look, it's cold. But, you know, they, they're not there long enough or, or realize that there might be a cycle in the heating system or, or so forth. I mean, there, there are millions of explanations, but I'm not saying it is or it isn't. But they don't even look at that when they, they yeah, investigate. Because the they're building. not interested in, in looking for that. What they're interested in, that what they're only seeking is validation of their own flawed ideas. Thrills, actually. Yeah, well, they, they, they think it's paranormal. They they just looking to demonstrate it's paranormal. Now, uh, you know, I uh, debunk example, it one or the other. Well, they don't debunk it anymore. Um, oh, they don't. Well, they, they don't do they? Let's be honest. But I'll give you another example where where Tony uh, Tony Cornell um, mentored me. Mm -hmm. um, there used to be the old-fashioned method uh, derived back in the 80s, I think, from ASAP, of you would you would divide your your investigation party into groups, and you would send each group to a different part of the location, 
and then they would spend 45 minutes or so there and then they would all congregate back in the base room and swap stories and grab a drink and then they would all go off to a different location now one of the things that we stopped doing was exactly that we would send the same group of people to the same part of the building for the entire duration of the visit and that led to some interesting discoveries for example we were down in portsmouth um, at the explosion museum portsmouth england England at the explosion museum uh, which was a, a naval dockyard um and it's now a museum of um gunpowder firepower and naval munitions um one of the one of the things that previous groups who had visited this most haunted location had reported was a particular type of sound and uh we we also heard the sound and the sound Mm -hmm. was um infrequent now using the 45 minute method of spent taking groups to you know and then moving them on somewhere else each group every other group may have heard the sound so one in two groups was going to hear the sound and um, they weren't there long enough to make any connection so but by putting the team in there for you know several hours at a time they realized that these sounds were actually uh, quite regular they were about once every 90 minutes and it was all down to the air conditioning of the building. So that would that would have been missed using the old method, the old fashioned method. Um, and of course, coming uh, coming up to the break, but Tony uh, was instrumental in developing Spider, the spontaneous paranormal incident data electronic recorder system, which was the first attempt to automate instrumentation and allow long-term recordings to be made without the need for somebody to turn things on or off or to um, sit there taking temperature readings. You know, they use computers and remote sensors in order to be able to do this. Hello? It's all gone very quiet again. I don't know whose connections dropped, but I'll I'll continue because I, I believe we are coming up to an ad break. But Spider, um, you know, consisted. I mean, there were various incarnations of Spider. Um, this spontaneous incident data electronic recorder um, that used um, early like Sinclair ZX eighty one computers. It was a BBC computer that had uh temperature sensors that would yep. trigger cameras and such like well we're coming up to the break steve so we'll have to stop you there right now can you hear me yeah you okay, muted <laughs> i was muted uh can you uh so anyways you're listening to ghost chronicles uh international right here on uh Tojanet and pararex radio Brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrick Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. And we'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet. 
Radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Parrax family. And welcome back to part two of tonight's first of two editions of Ghost Chronicles. This is the international edition starring New England's own Van Helsink and the gold standard. Hot coming back from Edinburgh, where I wasn't attending COP26. Um, although I did get to see Air Force One. Um, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Hey, uh, you'll love this. Actually, when I was uh, going to work, I was doing some work on the lighthouse when I was going there. I saw a, a big military f- plane fly overhead with and it had like its back open. And I was like, wow, that's weird. But uh, yeah, I was out doing training exercise. They jumped into the waters and they dropped the, the rafts and they had to go to the rafts and uh, jump on it and everything. It was this whole big exercise. It was, oh, that was cool. Yeah. Very cool. I, we, we we arrived at the airport yesterday to fly back, and mm-hmm. uh, of course, you know about COP twenty six and Biden being there. No, he I do didn't not. Know he, well, he he didn't know he was there, but he was, um, oh. <laughs> and parked on parked on the ramp opposite us um, was um, the leaders of uh, I think there was the Canadian uh, presidential jet, uh, premier's jet. There was the Italian. There was. Uh, there was about 26 of these presidential jets. Oh, right, there. right, for the, the conference. Yeah, okay, right. That's and, right, um, I forgot about that. Then um, prominent amongst them, because it was the biggest, was Air Force mm-hmm. One. There was the Reserve Air Force One, um, two American military transports, and um, and uh, one of those Boeing 757 U.S. Air Force. I think they're sometimes called Air Force Two. Um, we're all parked there and um, they because it's all about climate change and the environment so there were these 26 you know presidential jets uh by your your president drove the 30 miles to the conference venue in the city of glasgow in an 85 vehicle motorcade of course um completely well electric right Yeah, complete with a fleet of escorting helicopters over the top of them. Oh, they were electric too. Yeah, all electric, yeah. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. Greta Thunberg arrived on a skateboard, apparently. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I, I, before I forget, I do want to compl- compliment the Royal Marines who kicked our ass in exercises, our Marines in exercises. They beat us so bad that uh, uh, our uh, United States Marines surrendered halfway through the exercise. <laughs> well, you know, the, the two forces work together um, all the time. Um, yep. You know, the and kind of one's always an extension of the other, don't they? I know that we have a great deal of respect for the American armed forces and they have a similar high level of respect for the UK armed forces. Right. And, uh, you know, occasionally you let us win and occasionally we let you win. Oh, is that how it goes? The uh, the uh, the other thing, we, we, in the, we, we'll go back to ghosts in a minute, but uh, at the Dining with the Dead, I was talking to my son and, and he is, is uh been following up on the the uh, Falkland Wars, and of course I I watched several documentaries on it, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, one of the things he said, which I absolutely agree with, is is you just don't uh, you don't discount an Englishman. His determination is is beyond approach. <laughs> well, well, you know, it was said at the time that. You know, the Argentinians invaded the Falklands in the belief that Britain would never sail that far to the opposite end of the world. Um, over a couple of little islands. <laughs> over a couple of little islands. And anyway, they thought that the British didn't have the necessary armed forces <laughs> in order to do it. Uh, <laughs> and, and they were wrong. Evidently. Dead wrong, you know, as you would say dead wrong and you know they they we the british arrived with next to nothing um it was very hastily thrown together and yeah. uh, and the uh, the argentinians were told to leave yeah, that's pretty much lightly a way of putting it but anyway uh yeah so anyways we do want to get back to uh the ghost and, and ghost things so as i mentioned earlier in the the thing uh Tony Cornell did this experiment where he would put a uh, white sheet over himself and act like a ghost at, at certain locations. And and uh, his team would would uh, interview people who, uh, you know, were there or uh, not always interview, but at least uh, observe him and so forth. And he found out that uh, a lot of times uh, that people just did not even see him or, or just, That's right. you know. Yeah. And but the interesting thing about it was, I mean, he did this in several places, including a church and in a theater. And the the interesting thing about it is the results of the experiments, even though uh, they were not what he expected, was that he used that to prove that. Well, to not, I shouldn't say prove, but to enhance his theory that uh People do see ghosts, and uh, he said this proves it because when people aren't, uh, in other words, when they're there, what's it called? Attentive. Uh, Steve, you can help me with that. Do you know attentive? Well, well which, when, yeah, when you look I mean, at people, something, so yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, psychologists have got that that famous experiment, haven't they? Were the, the gorilla. Um, yeah, the gorilla yeah. in the baseball. Or yeah. the gorilla, uh, yeah, um, because people 
you know, when people say, oh, there was, um, you know, I, when I took this picture of um, of the sunset, I didn't notice the ghost or I there was nobody else standing in front of me when I took the picture. And photographers have known for a long time um, that people are fixed on the subject of the photograph and not the content of the image. So, for example, if you're taking a photograph of uh, St. Jan, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you've gone away for the day and you're, uh, you know, you want to take a, uh, a, a memory photograph, you, you're looking at St. Jan through the viewfinder of the camera or on the or on the LCD screen at the back. And you're not noticing the the wind turbine growing out of the top of a head, for example. <laughs> um or and there are countless examples or the nuclear of power dome in the yeah, background or the nuclear power dome there are countless examples where we 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 focus on the subject of the photograph not the content of the image itself and so we're surprised later when we look at the picture and go oh my god you know i mean there's there's thousands of these humorous and funny oh, photographs where where people haven't looked in the background you know you've got you've got dogs mating with one another you've got car crashes going on yeah. um that were completely unobserved at the time uh, and, and it, the, on the other opposite too though that it, depending upon their beliefs they can turn those around and and make oh, them paranormal yeah. Yeah. yeah well there there is, a, there is an example i use um so you 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 go like I did. We've just been sightseeing in the city of Edinburgh, Scotland, and we took hundreds of photographs. And when you come back, you look at the photographs and you, they remind you of where you've been and what you've been doing. However, if you go to, I went to Edinburgh Castle and I took lots of photographs. Uh, Edinburgh Castle has got a number of very famous ghost stories attached to it. Yeah. Um, now, if I had gone to Edinburgh Castle um, as a ghost hunter, then, you know, ghost hunters tend to scrutinize every pixel of their pictures. Oh, they God, they enlarge they them. Now, there isn't, uh, and I maintain this, there is not a single camera system yet invented that doesn't put anomalies into the picture as a result of, uh, you know, the film processing that was used, oh, sure. the chemicals that were used, yep. or the way that the software writes. I mean, if you have two digital cameras side by side um, and you take a picture of a scene, often you'll find that one looks a bit redder than the other and the other looks a bit gloomier because the camera decides how it's going to make the exposure the camera decides whether it's going to um, expose for the clouds or the the buildings or and but nevertheless um, you know if you go through every single digital photograph or any digital photograph we bring it up to the modern day taken with your smartphone or your very expensive digital uh, camera and you look at every single pixel, there will be imperfections. There will be pixels that didn't work properly. And you will get these irregular or regular blobs, patterns, colors. Um, sometimes you might see a shape in the, in, in the, in the way that they're arranged. 
uh, and you will go, hey, that's paranormal. There's evidence of the phantom because that's what you're looking for, even at 800% magnification. <laughs> which is not uncommon when they listen to evps i was i was reading quite recently how to listen to it and how to find an evp and it said that you know once you've made your recording you should play it at um eight was it six or eight hundred percent um enhancement of the volume and that you should uh-huh. use compression and you should do... What? Well, by the time you finish messing about with you it... You manipulated the whole thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I give he, Jim Stoney, my, my guy, credit because that's one thing he, he does not uh, agree with. He doesn't believe in manipulation because some people even play it backwards. Yeah, well, yeah, play it backwards, yeah. play it yeah. play it at twice the speed or, or you know, yeah. uh, and if you slow don't it down it, to like one millionth or whatever, yeah. it's like crazy. Yeah. Well, it comes back to the old, you know, the old um, thing that they used to do with vinyl records when they used to play them backwards. Um, <laughs> Join us. <down. laughs> and yeah, and come up with all sorts of things. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's in the, perception of of the event itself i mean if you if you and you keep manipulating it till you get something you want it's like statistics you know you can take yeah yeah exactly take that you can take that photograph that you took inside um you know the chapel at, at edinburgh castle and i could make you know i could make a good case with a little bit of manipulation i could put a ghost in it I could put an orb into it. I could claim that, you know, the light shining. I took a picture um, of Edinburgh's Waverley station, uh, its main railway station, because it's a very famous place, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And on it, there was a streak of purple light. Now, I knew what the cause of the streak of purple light was because there was a purple purple neon uh, sign just off camera but it was reflecting across the front of the lens mm-hmm. um so i knew it was there i could you know it was no surprise it's on the finished picture it's just part of the the uh the image but if i was if i was trying to claim that there were aliens at waverley station then i i could you know here's my evidence yeah and you see I mean, that with many of the old photographs or, yeah. or other paranormal photographs you yeah, know and- it when people come up and say, hey, look, I've captured a picture of the ghost and then they show you the orb. Well, mm-hmm. you're not going to tell them it's not because the they're other, not going to believe you. The other thing I want to talk about photographs and in, in, in in this is uh, you got to let me finish it before that done, is that, you know, I remember when I was first started doing it, somebody sent me a photograph and it was just a woman by a fountain and there was a little girl on the side and. Uh, she said, uh, can you review this ghost picture? And I looked at it and I, and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, but I really don't see a ghost in it. She says, can't you see the little girl? She wasn't there when I took the picture, when the picture was taken. And this happens uh, many times in like, you know, somebody will be at a, a haunted location uh-huh. and they'll take a picture and they'll see somebody in the window. I said, oh, my God, look, at I, I got captured a ghost in the window. There was no one there when I took the picture, but we just talked about that and tentative stuff that if you're not 
you know, looking for a particular thing, you don't notice certain things. Yeah, so people, that, that's really, it's really not proof. Yeah. No, people are focused. That lady was taking a photograph. She wasn't focusing or she wasn't concentrating on uh, who so else just, was in frame. She was blind to the to the person that was there. Exactly. Um, and of course, as we remember from the old day, the olden, you know, the very first photographers, whenever you use long exposure and long exposure oh, is God, often yes. now automatically selected. You don't choose the, the exposure settings of your camera any longer. So, um, you know, you just raise them up and press the press the button. Um, now, your camera might choose a, a shutter speed of of a, an eighth of a second. Uh, now, if you remember back to the Victorians, or if, in fact, I did it whilst we were in Edinburgh because there were a lot of tourists in front of uh, a monument I was trying to photograph. So what I did is I manually chose a an exposure of 20 seconds. Now, the camera was on, you know, the camera was supported. It the wasn't was moving. For 20 seconds, yeah. Yeah. Um, the 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 monument wasn't moving and the camera wasn't moving mm -hmm. and when the when the picture was produced there were no people in it and yet at least five or six people had walked right through the middle of the image but because uh, of the very long exposure um, they weren't recorded by the camera at all so they disappeared I made them go away I made them disappear in order to you know so i manipulated the photograph in the camera at the time it was being taken right. um to do that and you know I, and i think i've mentioned before we go back to tony and the white the white sheet mm -hmm. um when i where i used to live uh, near the city of chester uh, chester is a very famous for its roman history it has a, a large roman uh, fortress and lots of roman archaeology there um, you know, it was a, a major centre of the Roman occupation of Britain. And there are innumerable actors um, who dress as Roman centurions walking around the town from time to time, promoting uh, Chester's Roman past. In fact, they are such a common sight that if you walk through the city of Chester, um, you will almost always see a Roman centurion walking the on the other uh, side of the of the roadway on the sidewalk and nobody gives it a second glance yeah now uh, the, are all of those roman centurions real, real solid <laughs> century if you were going to put you know if you were going to be a roman ghost and live in the city of chester and haunt the city of chester then in the 21st century, you could go about your daily business and nobody would, would give you a second glance, unless you did something stupid and dumb like walk through a wall. Yeah, they would uh, yeah, kind of give it up a little bit. Now, I, there, we're talking about exposure too as well. And, and I want to mention that back when I first started this, I used to, we used to do a lot of work with infrared film, not uh, mm -hmm. digital infrared film. And uh, a lot that I was learned about it was through Brian the monk who was, you know, that was his hobby. That was his thing. He worked with them for a lot. And, uh, so Leo, who became our photographer at the time, uh, you know, started doing it too. And he, he started getting these fantastic pictures of, of like these, you know, ghost 
people. Mm-hmm. And it was like mm-hmm. unbelievable. And then mm-hmm. I, I was looking at him. I said, wow, this is great shots. You know, and, and I looked at him. And then I, I remember it was at the window. And I looked at this photograph. And, and I said, wait a minute. This ghost has my hat on. <laughs> and when I, I talked to Leo, what he had happened, he had had a long exposure on it. So yeah. basically, I was in frame, but I moved in the frame. So, of course, I'm going to be distorted. And uh, because, first of all, it's infrared. Second of all, because there's movement and the frame's open, it's not going to be a clear image. It'll be distorted. Yeah. And so I ended up looking like a ghost. If it wasn't for my hat, I thought that was a pretty damn good picture. If you look back through many, many Victorian street scene photographs, you will see ghosts standing around. You know, uh, you will see partially see-through people standing at the side or people with weird, blurry, you know, uh, just the top half of somebody or the bottom half of somebody else. And that's because the Victorians used uh, film with the same sort of um, ISO speed rating um, as as um, infrared film. So they would need exposures of, of 10 or 20 seconds sometimes or minutes. Um, mm. Now, if that person uh, who was sitting on the bench or walking through paused and stood and looked at the scene and then walked away again um then they're going to be partially recorded as a blurry human shape wearing wearing uh, a baseball cap or a or a top hat as was you know popular back then um and you know photography is so unreliable uh particularly modern cameras because um when I learned photography, you had to set the shutter speed, you had to show, oh, yeah. set the uh, aperture, you had to, uh, you did everything manually. But now with modern cameras, you do nothing to control the exposure of the picture. So the camera decides how long it's going to expose for. And people just don't understand. Because of the way that these devices are now advertised and promoted, you see the adverts for the, for the latest Google phone or iPhone camera. Yeah. And, you know, they can take stunning, or on the, advert, on the adverts, they can take stunning pictures in darkness, at nightclubs, um, at the beach. Um, but, of course, it's still just a basic camera. You know, with all of the same problems that, that the Victorian photographers had. And it needs to have uh, the right amount of exposure. So if, if you go out, you know, to capture a, a, a twilight shot that you think looks, looks great, your, then your camera, to make it look great, is going to choose a really long uh, exposure. Right. And if you move the camera during that time or somebody walks in and out of the frame during that time, you're going to get something strange happen. Yeah. And, and, we, and of course, we know that even back in Victorian times, we had people like William Lum- Mumbler and William Hope who, oh, took, yeah. advantage, who took advantage of that uh, particular flower and, and uh, made ghosts, basically. Well, you know, I remember making some lovely ghost images. Well, actually, they weren't ghost images. They were aura images. I convinced mm-hmm. uh, this is this is uh, well, 20 years ago. I I started to um, play around with with uh, with Polaroid photography. Mm-hmm. And um, 
a friend of mine had a, a business, a new age kind of psychic shop. And um, we w- set up this uh, aura photography um, it was a big experiment. It was very big back then. And I would take a sealed box of Polaroid film, um, you know, still in its carton, still in the foil wrapper, still in the, the cardboard box. And I would make a big deal about, you know, allowing the person to open the box and unseal the foil and load the camera into the into the Polaroid, um, put the film cartridge into the Polaroid. And then I'd stand them against the wall and I would take the picture and give them the the thing to hold while it developed. And lo and behold, they had colored auras around them. Ah. Um, and they were blown away by it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But all I done. Should be. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it, it, it was, it was fantastic. But what had really happened is, uh, for the day before, that box had been sitting on a window ledge um, with a small piece of um, granite rock from from Cornwall um, on top of it. Now, granite is mildly radioactive, and. Uh, beneath the piece of granite was a copper penny, that and that, cop- that copper penny blocked the um, gamma radiation from the granite reaching the film. But around the around the edges of the copper penny, of course, the gamma radiation could penetrate the cardboard and the foil and reach the film, where it left a mark. And when the film was developed, of course, that mark turned into an aura. Amazing. And depending on on how far down through the pack of film um, the exposure was, it could change the color because it was receiving more or less gamma radiation from the piece of granite. And that's an old trick that was, you know, that I mean that's been done. You know, I, I one of the uh, one of the interesting experiments I, I believe it was Skoll tried is getting a the image of a clock face to appear on Polaroid film. Um, I, I think that was what they managed to achieve, or uh, they they got it to appear on film. Uh, this this image of a of a clock face. Um, it's it's a very easy trick, particularly if you have a radium dial and uh, watch with radium hands. Just rest it on the film canister, <laughs> right. and where the radium paint is, it burns its way through onto the film and then when the film's developed you have a near perfect rendition of the clock face oh wow yes that's a you know that's there there are little tricks even back then they they did it but the interesting thing about it too is that um there's no proof when you someone for instance the the picture of that that person with the little girl off the side, there's absolutely no proof uh, that we could go from that picture one way or the other. In other words, it, that very well could have been a ghost because we weren't there at the time. It, we, go ahead. Well, we, we won't know. Um, right, exactly. I mean, back in the day, we, we at least had the negative to know, uh, you know, which we could examine and to see if there'd been any tampering. But have we, to be there a, but with digital photography now, you know, 
and especially with smartphones, there are apps you can stick a ghost on in real time. You know, I've, I've, there are hundreds of these apps where you can add a Victorian gentleman or a scary little girl or even an Annabelle doll, a haunted doll into mm. the photograph that wasn't there because you you added it when you took the photograph with the app. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, we, we can't trust photography any longer. Photography. Unfortunately, we got to wrap it up, Steve. Uh, just got the warning. There's less than a minute left. So. Oh, well, there we are. You so, can't uh, anything, can you? That's that's the uh, the theme is you can't trust uh, photography. So no matter what people show that's you, the, that's the take home. Mm. Anyway, so anyways, we want to thank everyone for listening. We want to oh, we also want to welcome our newest member of the uh, Data Society on uh, Ghost Chronicles Radio and Patreon, and that is Ann Ryan. So Ann, welcome aboard. And uh, you too can become a member of uh, Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon and be a member of our Data Society. Uh, so check out uh, Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon and find out there's like 30 videos on there and other things that you can only see as you're a Patreon member. Anyways, we got to go. want to thank everyone for listening and stay tuned for the second half of Ghost Chronicles Radio with Ann Carrigan and myself. Have a good night, Steve. Thank you. Good night. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law.